do you do with your time? Is it um, just... Oh, oh, oh. Try and relax half the time, get over the, uh, the hassle of um, you know, being at Anfield in our days, which is uh, quite hefty. It is a hard life being at Fortress Anfield. Um, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't watched it's, it's... Uh, a competitive game there, but I have been, so I will have heard your voice, won't I, at the um, Hillsborough oh, yes. Memorial Games. But, yeah, I've not missed a game since 19... No, 2008 I missed a game, and 1993 before that. Yeah, I mean, there are several proper Liverpool fans who I call them the fanniest fan, which in a way is complimentary, but in a way isn't, because it's as if you have to bleed for your fandom. But actually, this is an interesting point. Football is nothing without fans. Liverpool is nothing without... It's fans, but how do you adjust for that when you've got people staying up late or waking up early in the Far East or in California to watch Liverpool? Does it does that fandom equate to someone who has a season ticket at the COP? Yeah, it does nowadays. That it's a worldwide fan base, as you know. It's it's sort of crept up on us over the years. I know I was at a dinner last March last year, just before lockdown, and I heard the chief exec say that he reckons Liverpool have got a billion followers now around the world, and obviously they're not all going to get into Anfield, but there's um, a thing all over the world about people gathering in in various strange places to watch uh, Liverpool. I know. A friend of mine used to live in San Francisco, and I think there was a pub called the um, the, the, the Dog in the Fog or something like that. And they they all used to gather silly o'clock in the morning when Liverpool were playing. And then the other side of the world, Sydney Casino. Do I remember after the Barcelona game in 2019? I I got a lot of messages from people uh, all over the place after the other. Event and I know uh, I don't tired of telling people. My favourite was a guy who watched it in Sydney Casino, and he said it was six o'clock in the morning, and the place was full of all these big, uh, rugged Australian sheep farmers, and they were all in floods of tears. He said it was just absolutely surreal. As as a well-known football manager has quoted, "Wow, uh, that's my Jurgen impression." Wow. And it, it does the job. Uh, but he said, football is the most important of all the least important things. And That's right. what, what is not as well known as should be is Jürgen is a very practising Christian. Obviously, he doesn't yes. take Sundays off, but he's, he's a man of faith. And I think that yes. is the most important thing. Never mind the socialism and the links to Shanks and the boot room. Das boot room. Das boot realm, as no one calls it. Yeah. But yeah, he is a very, very spiritual man. Jurgen Klopp, have you seen that side to him? Uh, yes, obviously things happen. I mean, when his mother died early this year, you know, there was a big thing. He couldn't get to the funeral because of travel restrictions. I don't know. He said then his faith kept him going. That freaked us out. It's strange. His mother was uh, called Elizabeth and she was 81. Uh, my wife is Elizabeth and she's 81 as well. Uh, he did say at the time his faith kept him going. It's, it's a strange thing. I never thought of footballers over the years as religious people. Recently, you know, there's not just the influx of Muslims, but there's a lot of 
you know, devout Christians amongst the um, playing staff. You know, you, you watch when you know, teams are coming out with so many people doing the sign of the cross and whatever, and you know, looking upwards and, and saying a quiet prayer. That just never used to happen, or very, very rarely did it happen. And uh, I think that's a phenomenon of modern football that people really don't notice an awful lot. No, uh, David Winner told me that his next book, you know of David, he wrote Brilliant Orange and he's written about the England team. Yeah. Uh, his next book will be about the intersection between football and religion. Frank Skinner, famous yeah. West Brom fan, practising Catholic. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm sure you've met Frank Skinner and David Baddiel in your time. Uh, yes, only briefly years ago uh, when they were doing that um, fantasy football programme uh, they had. That's a, that's a long time ago. That was... Mid-90s, I think. Yeah, 25 years ago this year. Um, And, yeah, a warning, there will be name drops in this show. Um, You have 41,000 Twitter followers. Who is the most famous follower? Um, Terence Trent... Terence Terence Trent Alexander-Arnold. That sounds like a fantasy football skit. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yes, a lovely Trent who... um, he he's the, he was the controversy who's been elbowed aside for the knee. That is a Coleman ball. But yeah, you're at yeah. Voice of Anfield. John Alexander, who was, who was the club secretary at Man United. This is Trent's yeah. dad or uncle? I don't know. I really, really don't know. I think it's, it's his uncle. Strange. It could well be. I know years ago my wife was a health visitor and she was visiting this... Um, old lady in her home and this woman was saying that her nephew had just signed on for Liverpool's academy. He was only, he'd be about nine. And my wife said, oh, you never know, he might be famous one day. What's his name? And uh, this lady said, Trent Alexander-Arnold. And my wife said to her, I won't forget that name in a hurry, will I? Because then, years later, there he is and he's, he's made it. The, the problem he has is that I think he peaked far too soon. I wonder... Uh, and he might have to move into central midfield for this, but that's not a question I'm going to go to. Um, I was in Norwich and I was watching a gig and I was following what was going on because I thought, oh, come on, Barcelona are 3 nothing up. They've got Messi, they've got all those players. And it was one yeah. of those, oh, my God, they've scored again. And I read the description of what happened for the fourth goal. Um, yeah. And you have to say, as a Barcelona defender, if, you're, if Alan Hansen is critiquing it, he would say it's shocking defending. But it's, it it's shockingly brilliant play. Uh, and, of course, you had to compose yourself and say, goal scored by, I can't remember Origi's number, 27, Divock Origi? Uh, yes, Origi. wasn't so much composing myself, because I didn't think goal was going to count. Because I was, I was watching the goings-on, and I saw Trent put the ball down and walk away. And all of a sudden, he turns around, great next speed, ding, ding, it's in the back of the net. But nobody else had moved. I was sitting there waiting for the referee to say, come on, take it again. I wasn't ready. But you don't play to the whistle at corners. It's like a throw-in. Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, the entire Barcelona team got caught out. If I close my eyes now, I can see it happening again. At the top end. Not just just Trent uh, and Derek, but the the ball boy. His name was uh, Oakley Canonier. I think he's at our academy. At yeah, the moment, he was at under sixteen. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was. He was part of the movement, uh, and people 
you know, dismiss it sometimes. But he, uh, no, he was, he took a full part in that little play. And, he got an assist. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, yes, he's, <laughs> he'll be um, a trivia question for years to come, won't he? He really will. Absolutely. Um, according to the website, he did get a first year scholarship. So this is his second year. Yeah. So he's 17 years old. Liverpool have got some pretty good young players. Um, the one I recognise, um, Glatzel played recently. Uh, he played in the Youth Cup final. Were you at the Youth Cup final as well? We didn't have... Um, oh, there was no spectator. No, the final this year, was a, it, was a, it was away, wasn't it? Yeah, we, got, we had the semi-final, but um, I think the, sem- the actual final was played on uh, the opposition's ground. That's, it, it usually is played on the home ground of one of the team's... Uh, but obviously, the last couple of years, all the tradition, standards, habits have all gone out the window. So um, we did. We have to sit and watch it on TV. The figure that I'd love to speak to, because I too am writing a book. Uh, we're talking about your book, The Voice of Anfield, celebrating 50 years as a trial announcer at Liverpool Football Club. <laughs> Maybe, oh, come on. Surely, surely. And this would be wonderful PR. And I'll try not to talk about John Henry too much in this hour. But Liverpool FC need all the good PR they can get after the last six months. And so I think Virgil van Dijk should give you the contract as a full-time announcer. Uh, The 14th of August is the date that is etched. And there will be, I imagine you'll be approached by 7,000 people because the stadium announcer at Anfield is one of the pivotal figures. You've seen all the managers and all the players come and go through it all. You must have announced thousands of names down the years, tens of thousands of names. And you count yeah. not just Trent Alexander-Arnold as a friend, but King Kenny. I'm working on this book, and the key figure, I think, at Liverpool is Alex Inglethorpe, ex-Watford, and is now in charge of the academy. What can you tell me about yeah. him? Not a lot, because He's a um, the way that the club is nowadays, it's divided into different camps. You know, there's, there's the uh, administration uh, offices down in the centre of Liverpool, which are, are like a ghost town at the moment. It's awful. They're all working at home. Uh, but the people who operate in the new training centre out in Kirby, which is actually not far from where I live, and then there's the, the people who run the, the physical stadium, and then there's the uh, the rest of us, the, the part-time casuals who turn up on a match day. And you aren't even paid. Well, if you're a fan, you're not even paid. But... Mm-hmm. Oh, is, I, get, I get paid. You but, get paid, uh, yeah. Not as much as other announcers do, I know. Oh, that's very but, interesting. Uh, well, because you're uh, on trial. You're still on your trial, <laughs> Yes. It's, it's a funny old club, but I know the... Uh, I always say to people, I'm quite friendly with a lot of the 80s and 90s, like you know, the likes of Steve McManaman. I love and, this story uh, about uh, McManaman. Your wife yeah. knew his mum, so you've watched the curls of McManaman grow and grow yeah. and we're talking in the middle of the 25th anniversary of Euro 96 and of course yeah. also in 1996 which I will be polite and not mention Armani I'm not going near that <laughs> but I'll just say that had, <laughs> Liverpool, no. had Liverpool won at Wembley that day I would be a Liverpool fan because yeah. and it was such a terrible game I remember the goal and I think the press just needed a story and they liked to say oh it's because of the suits it's yeah. not because of the suits because of bloody Cantona so you know you knew most of that team. Does that mean that you know about the club's affiliation and the players' affiliation with the striking Dockers in the nineties? 
Well, it wasn't the club. It was you know the, the players themselves, not not the club in any sort of official sense. In fact, I think when uh, Robbie Fowler scored that goal and uh, pulled his shirt up to show the support for the Dockers, and he got into all sorts of trouble. I, uh, again, I don't know what the club said there, but I, I imagine it'd be something along the lines that you know. Uh, we're on your side, Robbie, but don't do that again. And I think he got fined by UEFA, so I don't remember rightly, but this is, you know, I mean, he, and the stories going round about him, about you know, he's supposed to be taking drugs and all sorts. Nothing could be further from the truth. I remember one thing from back here, that was just before the World Cup, uh, I was sat here and there was, must have been 98, and we had a guy come to persuade us to switch our electricity supply from whoever we were with over to his company. And we'd already decided we were going to do it. And this guy came in, he sat down, and um, the TV was on in the corner. I'm talking to this guy. I said, excuse me a second. And I shouted through to my wife, Steve's in the squad, which was nice. And then this guy, this salesman, starts talking about Robbie Fowley. So... Robbie Fowley, you know, he, he, he's uh, into all sorts of drugs, snorting everything. And I, I looked at this guy and I said, that's very strange. The last time I saw Robbie, uh, he's small blind. He doesn't do any of that. You know, I've got no reason to disbelieve him. Well, this guy went sort of pale. He didn't realize that I knew him. <laughs> he had the clue of the connection. And in the end, I said, just, you know, let me sign up this paper. And I'm going to have my tea and watch the football. Thank you very much. Bye bye. And uh, but it was it was a rumor, all sorts of rumors going around the the club. But mm. um, Steve just he, he just rightly said my wife used to work with his mum, very friendly. Uh, it's, it's it's odd because we went out for a family meal uh, last week in the the restaurant. She and my missus and the rest of the uh, the nurses from their particular. Clinic, I used to go out every every month for a you know, get together and whatever. And uh, that's that's sad to be able to remember. She was a lovely lady, Steve's mum. I don't doubt, and she imbued Steve with a lot of her qualities. One of the best football books that is in the football library, and you get your laminated football library card with Kenny Dalgleish's face on it, fellow author <laughs> Kenny Dalgleish. Yeah. Um, yeah, Macca, that book about his time at Madrid, it's, it's a circus by the end of it. There is an anthology-worthy yeah. bit, which I'm sure he's told you about, landing at, on a pre-season tour with barely any sleep, and they're trying to fulfil all their arrangements, and David's there, of course, uh, Beckham, yeah. and it's like animals in a zoo, and that is very different to the Steve McManaman who grew up in the 90s as a tricky winger. Absolutely. Uh, the heir to, I suppose, the heir to Dalgleish. Probably the Dalgleish. I used to love watching Steve play. You know, I was very sad when he went off to Madrid. I understood his reasoning. You know, obviously he set himself up for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just one of those things. I know he, he said it was an adventure. Even though he was playing for the biggest club in England, he, you know, the, the words Real Madrid still make a sort of aura with them, don't they? I mean, when I was growing up, when the European Cup first started, I was you used to watch it, and Real Madrid were the absolute you know, top of the tree. You know, they were the football club in world football. Uh, now, of course, Liverpool are, are up there with them. The only th- 
difference between Liverpool, uh, Barcelona, and Real Madrid is the, uh, the capacity of the stadium because we've you know we've established ourselves in the the top flights of, of European football, which is the Sunday of my age is absolutely wonderful. We used to think of these people as you know sort of demigods. It was very strange. But would Ian St. John have made it into that Real Madrid team with Pushkas and Di Stefano? I think he probably would. He was another Robbie Fowler. You know, what did Shank say? That when Ian came to Liverpool, I think Shank said he wasn't just a great centre-forward. He was the only centre-forward, the only proper centre-forward in, in English football. I can see what he means. I mean, he, he had everything Saints, you know, and he... You know, the will, the drive, the talent, you know, the, the strength. Um, and it was sad to see him. And I know the last few years, I got to know him quite well. I did an awful lot of dinners and functions with him. And we did a couple of programmes for LSCTV together. His knees were an absolute wreck. He couldn't drive because he had operations on his knees. And I think you know, one leg just wouldn't bend anymore. It, it was all to see him. But he really, you know, put his life on the line for Liverpool Football Club physically mm-hmm. every week. But I say, I, I would have put Saints in anywhere. That's, um, well, that was, it I, was a, again, what's known in the trade as a leading question because he was your idol. You started going to watch the Reds in the 1960s when they weren't brilliant. Uh, this was yeah. the era of Spurs in the early 60s and Jimmy Greaves. And right. uh, Everton, oh, Everton were winning cups and, and that. Yeah, in the 1960s, Shankly came in. You say that he should have gone into politics. I've spoken with George Scott, your fellow author, who is the oh, lost yes. Shankly boy. So I know a lot about Bill Shankly, but the, in the way that Bobby Moore was more or less persona non grata at West Ham and Alan Shearer is now persona non grata at St. James's Park because of the ownership, um, the story had told that Bill Shankly went to, was watching training and... Um, I don't know who it was that told him, please, you can't be here anymore. Um, yeah. Desperately, desperately sad. Nowadays, he'd be an it ambassador, he'd be on LFC TV. But without Shankly, there wouldn't be a modern Liverpool. No, absolutely not. I started going to watch Liverpool as a fan about a month after Shankly came. Just That was just coincidence. I just got to an age when I was you know, old enough to go to the match with my friends and whatever. I remember what it was like before Shankly arrived, I mean, the, I'm looking back, I'm amazed that Liverpool actually went and uh, headhunted him because the powers that be at Anfield seem to be quite happy being a big fish in a small pond because they, we went down to the second division in 1954, wasn't it? And um, we were still getting big crowds. You know, the atmosphere was great and we we were sort of getting into the top four, five, six of the second division every year. And the club were prosperous. They're making a profit. And as I say, they, they were, the, the club uh, directors seemed to be quite happy with that. And so one day they, they decided it was time to maybe start moving onwards and upwards again. And, and Shankly's attitude was just foreign to, to theirs. He was, you know, he came and he wanted to uh, make a Liverpool a, you know, a European superpower. He wanted to win this and win that and win everything. He, he must have just sort of swept the uh, 
the, the board of directors aside, he, his, his focus, his dedication, his determination, you know, the will to win were incredible. I know I went to Goodison Park to a testimonial game for Brian LeBone, who's mm-hmm. the uh, Everton captain. centre-back. Yeah. Everton won 2-1, and I heard the story from several people afterwards in the dressing room. Shankly was um, was going mad because they'd lost. Somebody said to me, it, it, "It's only a friendly boss," and he went ballistic. There's no such thing as a friendly. And it, he, he laid into them like they just lost the uh, the FA Cup final. It was, well, that was his attitude. He, they used to say at training they play five side. He playing once one team, and if his team were losing when they got to the the end of the five-a-side game. He'd carry on until they, until they scored and actually won the game. He could not abide losing. You know, he wouldn't lose a game with Tiddlywinks to his grandchildren. He just he just wasn't in his nature. And I I admire that. The will to win is, is, uh, is something I admire. And it's done Liverpool a part of good old years. There were lots of stars there, but the star was the team. Clough, exactly yeah. the same. Ferguson, exactly the same. Guardiola, exactly the same. There is a book to be written about socialism or kind of the group dynamics of the yeah. great football teams. Obviously, Barcelona have the, the little lad from Rosario and the others yeah. playing around him. But in the way, the team today uh, and what Jürgen is doing is a direct descendant of the Shankly team of the 60s. I don't know if you've read Anthony Quinn's book, Klopp, uh, in which he compares Klopp to Shankly, and in every way they match. Yeah. It's quite stunning. It's just one's born in the Black Forest, yeah, actually, and the other's Glasgow. Uh, I've got it here somewhere oh, to cool. read. I haven't got round to it it's yet. Worth but it. the, it's worth certainly that it's particular a, chapter. It's about 50 pages. Yeah. It's, uh, it's that's strange. It was on the shelf in the Liverpool club store next to mine, which I was quite proud of. But um, just before lockdown, I did one interview, one last interview, with um, a German TV company, and they, obviously they were doing a piece about Jürgen. What I said then still stands true. He's the only manager in all these years who could stand shoulder to shoulder with Bill Shankly, and that's as great a compliment as you can pay him. And the, as you say, they're alike in every way: the charisma, the focus, determination, the passion. It's 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 a joy to see, and I'm just. I said the other week, I'd like to think he'd be here at Anfield for the rest of my life, but I, I don't know. I just hope nobody upsets him. Yes. Uh, in the powers that be upstairs. Well, he's, he's one of us now. There's no two doubt, uh, two ways about it. He, he's he's uh, an adoptive scouser now. Well, there are four chambers of his heart. God's in one chamber, Mainz is in one, Dortmund's in one, yeah. and then Liverpool's in the other. Never been sacked. Yeah. Which is quite incredible in the modern day. Yeah. We will go in the second half through, as you do in your book, The Voice of Anfield, uh, through the decades. But I just wanted to mention this game that I've just found out about. Liverpool 8, 1860 München nil. Roger Hunt scored yes. 2, Ian Callaghan scored 2. Um, what was that Liverpool side like to watch? It was fantastic. They, they, they were a terrific side. You know, people looking back say, oh, Munich can't have been much cop because... Um, yeah, Liverpool gave them the run around. And I said, no, no. But two things. First of all, they beat us in the second leg. And secondly, 
everything we hit that night went in. You know, normally if you look at the, the stats and there's attempts on goal, goals scored and whatever, but that night they were all the same. They, you know, they had eight or nine shots of goal. I think they had um, about ten shots of goal on that. They all went in, but the the flowing football they were playing was, you know, again, it was a joy to watch. That was probably the, you know, the height of Shankly's squad. The, the, that was the team that you, you could recite uh, even now for the sad thing about Go on, then. Many, Lawrence and goal. Um, Lawrence, Lord of Bern, you know, oh, um, Stevenson, Mill, Hunt, St. John, uh, Callaghan were in there with me and uh, Peter Thompson on the other wing. Yep. And it was, um, I'd say they, they were you know, the, the weekly regular team. And not and, just and that, they, that night, they had been beamed around the UK because Match of the Day was set up in the mid-1960s. Yeah. Um, and so the whole country would be aware, where obviously local TV and radio had the, the lion's share. But I yeah. remember watching the footage of the game against Southampton where at the end Liverpool were just toying with them. And it, it wasn't right. just the players seemed to be on another level, but the culture of the club was on another level. You don't win. Was it 13 in 20 years without having yeah. a culture at the club based on winning? And this boot yeah. room, which is, I don't think has been replicated in any sport, no. but the idea, I'm sure someone like Billy Bean will have read up on the boot room. This is uh, Paisley, Fagan, Moran and Shankly. Yeah. who all became managers of the club. Have you heard tales of that boot room from any of these men? Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was the heart of the club. It, it just, it was the place where they got together, the coaching staff, you know, in, in that I include, obviously, the manager, assistant manager, and the, the senior coaches. That was where they got together got together and they would tour, they discussed the match that just gone, the next game. And it was it was a think tank. Uh, that'd probably be the you know, the modern expression, but it had um, uh, grew a life of its own. And the, the fact that Sunes had it uh, knocked down is something I'll never you know forget the the story was that uh, it was the architects and builders who so they had to go to make way for the new press room or whatever. But they tried that when Shanks was there. They, he, they would have been uh, tarred and feathered and chucked out of the club. He wouldn't have let them touch it. But I know I, I remember turning up to Anfield that night. I think that's in the book as well. With I think it was a reserve game or a youth game. And I turned up and, from work and they, there were guys, stewards, security men coming the other way with bits bits of the boot room under, under their arm just to, you know, have some sort of souvenir of the place. And I'm, you know, I'm glad I got, at least got to set foot in it once or twice. Mm-hmm. But even then I was, you know, a bit worthy of going there. It was like um, the Holy Grail, that, that room, it really was. But yeah. um, it's it, kind it, of well, it was literally the heart, the beating heart of Liverpool Football Club. Is Sefton a very Scouse surname? What is a Sefton? There's a district of Sefton, which is spelled differently uh-huh. to the way I spell it, which is just north of the city. Um, the name Sefton goes back to the Doomsday Book. And it's actually a Norse name, I think. It's, it's um, the word Seatstun uh, means marshy hollow. 
and it was the uh, the Vikings that, that christened it after them. It's it mutated into Sefton and then uh, moved slightly south into into north end of Liverpool. The name Sefton is very common in West Lancashire, uh, but there's not too many of us in uh, in Liverpool itself. Strangely, like my family shopkeepers around the the docks area. Well, I don't know, a hundred years ago. And uh, my, one of my uncles, my granddad, who I never actually met, he was he worked on the docks and others in the family had a little tobacconist store in Great Howard Street, uh, which is one of the main roads out of uh, North Liverpool, north and through the dock area. I never think of it as a Scouse name, although obviously I am I'm a Scouse, born and bred. Uh-huh. Which bit of Liverpool? Walton. Uh, halfway between... Walton Jail and Walton Hospital. Isn't that John Lennon uh, country? No, that he was uh, Walton, uh, not Walton. <laughs> you yeah. see what I mean, yeah. Uh, which gets very confused. Yeah, he's literally as far south in the centre as I am north. Well, where I live now is only a couple of miles north of where I actually grew up. Because we, when I got married, we had a flat in the very centre of Liverpool, in Toxteth, and then we moved out up into West Lancashire uh, in the days of property boom in the early to mid-70s. That, yeah, that was as far as we had to go to find a house because more than we've since moved back south. So I'm, the last job I had before I retired from nine-to-five work was in uh, Norris Green. And where now was a reasonable distance of work and it's a reasonable distance manfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now. We're celebrating your 50th year doing your Saturday job, although, <laughs> but also working at all these great European Cup ties, including the one against Nottingham Forest. This was when Liverpool were drawn against Forest in the first yes. round of the European Cup. Um, yeah. That, and Liverpool, were Liverpool the holders then? And Forest had just you won were, the league? No, we yeah, no, we uh, yeah we were the holders, which we were, was why we were were in it. And mm-hmm. Forest had just won the league, and there was no seeding in those days. It, it was just a straightforward draw. There were no groups, no nothing. Pure. And I remember going out to lunch. Uh, find I must have gone and sat in the car and listened to my radio. I heard the draw, and going back into the office and saying we've drawn Forest. And people's faces are very long. I don't think because we were afraid of Forest, although they were, they were a really good team when Clough was running that place. Uh, I think we just disappointed that we didn't get Continental clubs to watch, but uh, in the end it didn't count for anything because Forest um, put us out. And you know, they, it, it's weird now look, watching them floundering in the lower leagues and uh, you know they've got two European Cups on their shelf. And, uh, back in the, back in the, uh, the city ground. One of my favourite oh, yeah. walks that I've ever done is from the centre of Liverpool. Getting in at Liverpool, you can walk three miles to Stanley Park. And yeah. I remember going to... For the, I went to Anfield for the first time in 2014. It was the 25th anniversary of the disaster. And there was a game against... I think it may have been Bayern Munich. And yeah. I remember Steven Gerrard slipped over because he wanted to draw attention to the fact that, all right, Liverpool didn't win the league, but at least he had some good grace about it. 
And yeah. mention of Steven Gerrard, I think it's odds on that the Champions League next year is a big tester because if Steven Gerrard can guide the players that he's got at Rangers through the group stages, then surely, if given your Salas, your Harvey Elliott's, uh, your Reese Williams's, um, I'm not going to tempt fate, but surely Gerrard is being lined up as the next manager. I would have thought so. It, it, the people are denying it and saying, oh, he's got to go and get experience here, there and everywhere first. But I can't see Stephen managing another Premier League club other than Liverpool. And I think it's more than coincidence with his contract that uh, Ibrox runs out more or less the same time as Jürgen's runs mm. out Liverpool. Deeply suspicious it's it's a master plan going on somewhere. Mm. But um, I don't know, he's, he's worked wonders at, um, at Rangers. You know, they've taken him a couple of years, but there they are, they've won the league. They've not only won the league, they've destroyed Embarrassing. Celtic in the, in the process. That, uh, it's not just the old points or goal difference, they're miles ahead of them. And that's uh, really got people's ears pricked up. And obviously, Liverpool is the club that Stephen's you know, heart is in. I never understood why he went to America for 18 months old. Obviously, maybe he thought he was setting himself up and his family financially for the rest of his life. But um, I think where he is now is a really, really good stepping stone uh, up to you know, where, where we are. And obviously, he's, he's inculcated in the, the ways of Liverpool, the spirit, you know, the, the attitude, everything about Liverpool. And he's still revered at Anfield. Uh, and I, I saw somebody last week, uh, I think it was on Twitter or Facebook, saying that you know, he'd never forgive Steve for going there. I, I thought, well, what do you mean there? Which team means Rangers? Because obviously Liverpool have got greater affinity with Celtic over the last 17 years for various reasons. I think it probably started with when Kenny came. Years and years ago, I'm going back probably around the time I started watching the situation in Liverpool uh, was this, much the same as the historical situation in Glasgow. It, if you were a Catholic, you supported one team. If you weren't, you supported the other lot. I mean, Liverpool and Rangers were the, uh, the non-Catholic teams. You know, and I think I, I've said to a lot of people, I thought all that business had disappeared into the mist of time a long time ago, but obviously there are still people with uh, you know, leanings that way, which I find very sad, but it, it's certainly not a common feeling. So I think... You know, if he does well with Rangers, you know, I, I really, really see him coming back. There's also the Graham Souness connection. Souness was at Rangers yeah. and then at Liverpool. But um, what a stupid thing to give an interview to that paper that can't be sold in Liverpool. I went into a newsagent yeah. near Anfield uh, when I was near there that day, looked at the papers and went, oh, yeah, of course, it's still banned. 